When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Hello, I'm Scott Soshnick. And I'm Evan Novi Williams, and this is the Du Millard et Demi de Dollars sports business podcast, The Sportacast. All right, I don't know what it means, but I assume it's Le Habitant. It is two and a half billion dollars in French. Thank you to uh, my good friend Google Translate. Oh, okay. Um, (laughs) Good, good, good. I like it. I like it. I thought you were going to go something uh, Canadian, but I didn't know it was going to be in French. Well done. Mm -hmm. Yvonne Uh, (laughs) Cornway-esque. That's all I got. (laughs) Maurice Rocket Richard-esque. Exactly, exactly. Um, Larry Robinson-esque. Come on, you can't can't go down the list. You got nothing for the Montreal Canadiens? Kirby Doc. Oh, come on. Are you serious? Vincent Demfus. Oh, no, no, no. Jacques Plante-esque, what? Yeah, that's too old for me. Oh, thanks very much. Hey, you you dish it all the time. No, but hey, hey, how about giving me something that actually pertains to our life, my, my other life? Uh, Martin Saint Louis. Martin yeah. Saint Louis. There you mm-hmm. go. There, there go. you go. Former Mid Fairfield coach left uh, the Mid Fairfield Rangers to take on Le Habitant. There you go. All right. Now you're getting better. Carrie so, Price, my son's favorite player. <laughs> okay, we're, we're done naming Canadians. Uh, the <laughs> well, you were news. done a long time ago. <laughs> that's, that's all I got. Uh, big news out of the hockey world: Michael Vincent Ann Lauer, who, <laughs> he's a legend, Canadians Vincent legend. Uh, Michael Ann Lauer, who bought the the Senators last year, owned a ten percent stake in the Montreal Canadiens. He had to sell that ten percent stake. Our colleague Kurt Badenhausen broke the news last week that that deal happened. He sold the stake back to the Molson family or to the Molson family, which is the control owners of the Canadians. But the interesting number here, Scott, as I said it in, in French, I'll say it in English, two and a half billion dollar valuation on that stake. Uh, by far uh, a record for an NF- NHL team, sorry, in a transaction. Yeah, I'm supposed to be listening to you. I'm sorry, but I was looking up Vincent Damfus stats and news. Oh, the, he, uh, legend. No, you, I don't think we can <laughs> include I mean, it was like... Maple Leafs, then Canadians, and then San Jose Sharks. I, I'm not really sure. Like again, we're not talking Cornwallier <laughs> or Richard. How about Jocelyn Thibault? I like Jocelyn Jose Theodore. What do we What do we think about them? <laughs> no, for now, if we're going Richet. goaltenders, we got it. No, 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 no. I like Stefan Richet. That was good too. Yeah. Uh, I mean, one. This does not surprise me at the number. It is the Montreal Canadiens, a yep. uh, surely a premier franchise. Uh, I like the fact that the Molson family had the option to, uh, or as they call it in the business, the rofer, the sure. right of first refusal to 
to buy it and they exercise that. What does that tell you about the Molson family and, uh, and maybe the plans for the Canadians moving forward? Because once I have control, I really don't need more of the asset, right? He could have sold it to somebody else, but they exercised the rofer and said, we'll take it. Yeah, let's let's dive into that for a second because so much of what we talk about the, the the new private equity rules across almost all sports outside the NFL is about making it easier for owners to take money off the table for yeah. for control owners to say I don't need eighty percent of this team I really maybe yeah. only need fifty one percent. It's interesting to me at least to see it, an ownership group that is doing the exact opposite. This is a stake they did not need to buy. It had no effect on their on that their would control of the be attractive Montreal to Canadians. the Arctoses of the world that looked for premier. Probably Probably you know, would be attractive. Blood. Yeah. So, so the two things that jump to my mind, I want to get your thoughts also. One, um, there's maybe uh, the, the valuation of the team is maybe higher in this situation. That if you tell me you need to sell something, and I know you have to sell it, which Michael mm-hmm. Anlauer did, maybe my offer would be a little bit lower than if you told me, oh, I have this thing that I'm considering selling. So, so maybe from a leverage standpoint, they figured buying this back now maximizes the value of their asset. And maybe if they want to sell it later... They can maybe get a bidding war together for it. And then two, uh, if, if Michael Landlauer sells this team, you, you don't know exactly who he's selling to. Maybe they're, maybe he considers selling to someone that you'd rather not be, be an LP, whatever it is, that, that maybe it gives it definitely gives the Molson family even more control if they scoop up this, this 10% stake in addition to what they already have. But I'm curious what your thoughts are on, on why we may have seen this, this decision. I think the Molson family is golden in its uh, purchase oh, here. God. No, no good. Oh, terrible. No. <laughs> Do you ever have any friends ask you to bring back Molson Brodeur? You ever drink the, the Molson Brodeur? No. Is, is go go look it up, it. young no. man. Molson Brodeur. Okay. Go look <laughs> is it that up. That what it's Jacques Plant was drinking? <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. It's a, it's, it's a real thing. <laughs> look at your Jacques Plant was drinking. Um, yeah, I, I listen. It's a great asset. Like, what else do you put your money in? Right. I, I, if I can have more. Of the Canadians, and I don't care how much I already own, if I can acquire more of this asset, I'd like to have it. Thank you very much. We've seen what happened uh, in the bidding for the Ottawa Senators. This is, not only is it hockey in Canada, right? You can see that there's two different, like there's Winnipeg hockey in Canada, (laughs) there's Calgary hockey in Canada, and then there's Montreal uh, the forum ask you know, that there is that hockey in Canada and there's the Maple Leafs hockey in Canada. Those, yep. are, I think, are two different things. So if I can acquire even more, I'm going to do it because I'm pretty confident that the value of the team of the Montreal Canadiens uh, will not be going down in the near future for yep. multitudes of reasons. We the Sportico valuations, which Kurt did uh, almost exactly a year ago, and and I believe are going to be updated at some point very very soon at Sportico's website. But last year, the Maple Leafs were the most valuable team in the NHL, two point one two billion. The Rangers right behind them at two point oh one, and then the Canadians were third in the NHL at one point seven billion, and then a pretty big gap after that. So Ottawa's going right, to change all is... that. Calculus is redone after the Ottawa sale and this sale. I would think to a degree also. Yep. Yeah, I think that when when Kurt drops. Those, those numbers it's, it's hopefully at some point soon I think people are going to be surprised at the at the jump that that happens uh, from one year to the other in, in the NHL 
Yeah, and then when the Rangers play a few games in the sphere and they can create even more revenue, you watch what happens to that valuation too. Go. That would be there fun. That would <laughs> not just for concerts anymore, my friend. Get me a Ranger game in the sphere. That is would the be sphere cool. big enough to host no. an NHL? No, I totally made that up. No, yeah, no, no, no. no. Totally made that up. No, that can't happen. Sure that's oh, deliberately not made for that. But yeah, no, no, but, no, no, no. Not, uh, yeah, the, not made for that. The New York Sphere, when they do open it, uh, can maybe be adapted for uh, for Rangers games. Let me well. ask you this: Just speaking of Rangers and and Islanders because they're playing each other. Where are you right now on the allure of Islanders, Rangers, Devils, Flyers at MetLife? On the whole outdoor experience, mm, like festival less. Uh, yeah. Do, One do day you, or two? Um, I think it's two. I think it's a two-day thing, a Saturday and a Sunday. Do you say to friends and loved ones, hey— Here's a chance in February for us to go stand outside in New Jersey for a while. Um, <laughs> you're you're going to do that? Uh, or, nah, I'm okay. Can, can you bean pot it? Can you do two games Saturday and the winners play on Sunday? I, I don't believe that's the way the NHL schedule will work. No, they're just it's definitely two individual not, games. It's one Saturday, <laughs> one Sunday, I believe. Yeah, I, it's, it's interesting. The, the, the NBA in-season tournament is a, is a clunky but in some ways elegant way of squeezing – a tournament into a regular season that, that, that had very strict, obviously scheduling constraints to it. Yeah. Let me, um, let me interject though, right there before yeah. you remember where you were. So make a mental note as to what you were going to say. Cause sure. I don't want you yeah. to have, okay. So you got that, <laughs> okay. yeah, but got I it. did see a whole lot of backlash on the courts, which I think was totally intentional. Like just to yeah. get everybody talking about it, your thoughts on the, I mean, it's all part of sports business, the design, I, the rollout of an in-season tournament, you know, just people just want to talk about anything that has to do with that tournament. I think the thing that's getting overlooked about the courts is one of the challenges for the NBA with this tournament is just educating even diehard basketball yeah, what fans. What is it? What is it? What is it? What yeah. what Who regular season when, games what count happens? towards yeah. it, right? Yeah. And one of the things the court does is the minute you turn on one of those games, you know. You know. This is okay, right. this is a regular season game that counts for the in-season tournament. Uh, and I think the NBA is and I'm writing something a, a very small piece of this for later this week, but I think the NBA is is doing as much as possible in as many different avenues as possible to educate fans, to make it clear to basketball fans casual basketball fans and avid fans. This is the structure. These are the games that matter. It's uniforms, it's court, it's structure. They want to make sure that there's less confusion about what it is, what's at stake. Um, So I think that the court, I think is actually a really smart way of making it immediately clear the minute you turn on a game, you You can't miss it. Okay, this is something different than a regular season game that I'm This is either a Boise football game or an in-season tournament (laughs) NBA game. Yeah, exactly. So I think think that there is something very, I think there's something very smart to that uh, that I think is getting overlooked a little bit. Speaking of NBA, wait, no, finish your point first. Where were you? I had you bookmark, and then I'll go back to what I'm thinking about in season. What I was just saying is that I, I, I like your idea about this about th- this outdoor festival kind of thing, and I think that that other leagues are MLS just did this with its uh, with its tournament against Liga MX in season tournament in the NBA. I think we're going to start seeing leagues, everyone maybe, but but the NFL start to be more creative about what they can build into their regular season that is sellable both to fans to, to to media companies to broadcasters to sponsors whatever it is something that builds a little bit more drama into an 82 game regular season or in baseball 160 62 game regular season i think there's just more that has to be done and i think that idea is actually a really good one can i go to my kreskin thing you know i like to pull my johnny carson you know my johnny carson kreskin all right we'll do this <laughs> yes yeah, so you say in-season tournament i will say hello exclusive package to <laughs> 
Amazon. Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> Very smart. So, so yes, there is obviously a business uh, a, a business motivation here. Um, but I also think that uh, these seasons are very long, and if you're a if you're an NBA fan or you're an NHL fan or you're a baseball fan, the 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 the, the months two through four of the season are not that consequential. And anything you can do, even for fans, just to make those the, those early things more enticing, I think, is something that that all these leagues are going to look at. Absolutely. And guess who I got to see in person last week? Guess who you got to? I know you were in Phoenix. Yeah. Dale Jarrett? Well, I did get to see Dale Jarrett. And, and, well, again, <laughs> as he, I said... Did he hit the... the <laughs> did he as, get to the point of, of As this I cheese? told you, our C-suite event was in Phoenix in partnership with SeatGeek, uh, SeatGeek and NASCAR. Yeah. Um, and as part of it, we did some ride around the track. So as I told you, I was told that my driver was Dale Jarrett. <laughs> I, I I couldn't I got I'm just going to be honest I don't I could not pick Dale Jarrett out of a lineup and he had a helmet on and everything, but we had a nice conversation about the standard H, um, said something about uh, NASCAR maybe moving towards sometime soon the automatic transmission. Gosh. Yeah, I mean maybe not full, but I'm I not said even to him, a fan "Well, and I'm outraged by that." Yeah, I'm, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I told him I learned to drive a stick shift on I believe it was a '74 Honda Civic. And he went into the, of course, you wouldn't believe how many people can't drive uh, a stick. And I was like, well, I'm not a, you know, a hardcore racing fan, but the whole idea of an automatic transmission seems sacrilegious to me. Okay. And he chimed right in and goes, yeah, me too. You know, but yeah. he's like, but the driver's are already using sort of, I don't know if it's Tiptronic or whatever, but they're using that, like the hand control gear the shifting. Pa- paddle shifting, yeah. Yeah, paddle, so it's all, all yeah. different anyway. But we were doing standard H, man. You know, we did, did some good speeds up around the bends. But who I, yes, Dale Jarrett, he was my driver. <laughs> um, getting in and out, by the way, you've been very impressed. I, I did really well getting in and out of the car. Oh, because there's no door, yeah. right? You're going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to, you know, yeah, pulling yeah. yourself out. <laughs> yeah. I, I thought I might, you know, pull something, strain something, but I, yeah. I did all right. Good. I did get my Hans device caught on the way in, so I had to mm. duck again, like a, a reset. Okay. But I did all right. No, but um, I took in the World Series clincher, by the way. So we yep. were just there, happened to be there for that, uh, and then the next night, what I mean, talk about like your networking and fun thing. We had a a conversation with Bubba Wallace. But we did it at the Phoenix Suns Spurs game. Mm. So we had Wembayama going against uh, KD and Devin Booker. Devin did and play. Breakout and game, right? For Wemby? Oh, it was, game he for went Wemby? for 38. Yeah, yeah, yeah Wemby yeah. went for 38. So sort of this breakout game for Wembayama. Um, but it just got me thinking you know, there are times I, I talk about David Stern a lot uh, on the show. And I was like, hmm. I was at a World Series game. I went outside, and there's a protest of you know world politics going on. Then the next night, I'm in a conversation with Bubba Wallace, who then came to us to see a 19-year-old French basketball player against Kevin Durant <laughs> and Devin Booker in, in Phoenix. And then the following day, I'm riding around the track with Dale Jarrett, and I'm taking in the NASCAR experience at a time when they're looking for a new media deal. And, and I was just like one of those days where – you know what? This is like, this. I really would like to be talking to David. Like this was mm-hmm. my weekend. What do we make of this? Who's best positioned? How happy are you that you got a, you know this this Victor Wembanyama? This thing's going insane. He goes for thirty eight against a marquee player. It just encapsulated so much that was going on in sports business that I, I did actually say to people, I miss David. I, it was one of those times I would have liked to have shot him off an email and, and said, uh, "You got lucky with this guy because it's apparent he's going to be a thing." I believe Scott, you were at LeBron's breakout game, which was his first game, right? The, the Sacramento the, in Sacramento. Yep. Uh, so, so you went to LeBron's first game ever, um, yeah. which, which he was clear he was going to be a star. Yeah, you knew and the I kids think, were going to be pretty good. 
there's a chance that you're going to look back on Wemby's awesome career and look back at that game in Phoenix and be like, that was the moment that the league understood and, and, and saw it all. I'm curious if you have any, if there are any comparisons, anything you, you thought of differently about watching these two teenagers at very different stages in their careers and in their, in, in their early parts of their NBA careers. No, I, would, I would just say like LeBron was more of the expectation. I, there was so much hype at St. Vincent, St. Mary and all the stuff that came on with him, the car he was driving and there was just the cover of Sports Illustrated. I think Wemby really just signifies this global nature of the game. Like you mm-hmm. just get the feeling when you've, when you've got the, the MVP is, you know, out from outside the U.S. You've got superstar players from outside the U.S. And gone is the notion that the league is just promoting a certain kind of player or it, it's if you can play you can play as david used to say the ultimate meritocracy if you can play you can play and the amount of global eyeballs on not just the nba but you got all these other leagues trying to figure out what does bubba what does bubba wallace do for the nascar fan base does he diversify the fan base is he bringing new people and the answer is yes hmm. but now as he moves forward you know you got michael jordan an ownership stake on the team what do they do moving forward in terms of diversifying and growing the fan base? Everybody's asking the same questions. And obviously, the players, the drivers, they are the, the stars. They are the vehicles for which people, uh, you know, they want to tune in. They're the story. So it's interesting to see how these leagues are sort of, they all have their own storylines and stars and dramas. And of course, now, you know, NASCAR is going to have the reality series. Uh, on Netflix, following that that template, the NBA with the in-season tournament, and we're talking about what does it mean? Um, it's about new product that you can sell to broadcasters. Um, Netflix is working with with uh, NASCAR, so it, you've got this ecosystem that everybody's trying to recreate. But who gets to take advantage, and how, and who does it best, and who are the front runners, and who wins? We don't know yet, but it sure is fun to watch. And and you're having these thoughts while the NFL's playing in Germany. While the NFL's <laughs> in Germany. And by the way, did, the you very next see, day, yeah. did you see the share number in Kansas City? I did not know, but I, I assume keep, it's going to be right, big if you're, go say you're something, talking about Go it. say something brilliant while I go look up the share number in Kansas City. <laughs> <laughs> because it's absolutely, I mean, this is I'm trying to of. guess now what I think it might be. All right, hold on. I, I mean, can probably have it. Let me see if I can find it really fast. Hold so this on. is the I percentage of TVs that are on that the, are watching the, yeah. the football game. The, yeah. The, the, yeah, the number of TVs in use were tuned to the game. Now, keep it. It was early morning, so that helps. Yeah. What percentage of the games, of the TVs that were on in Kansas City were tuned to the Chiefs and Dolphins? Uh, I know it's high. I'm going to say 72 Okay, well, you know card sharks. Remember card card sharks, the the game. No, <laughs> you don't. You don't know card sharks. Where you'd go higher, higher, no, lower, no. lower. No, keep no. going, keep going, keep going higher. Okay, uh, seventy eight. Keep going. 82. Keep going. Jeez. 87. Now, either all of the dials and the remote controls were broken in Kansas City, but this is... Keep going. Oh, my gosh. Exactly. We're, we're in oh, my God territory, right? Yeah. 90, Keep going, Evan Novi Williams. Keep going, Evan Novi Williams. <laughs> I'm gonna but, hit. I'm gonna hit an end in, in in seven more. Ninety-seven. You might see. Yeah, this is where I was hoping you would have shift downshift to the one at a time. Ninety-four percent. That is an incredible. Of the number. TVs in use in Kansas City were tuned to that football game. That it. The only thing I can compare it to, and boy, I would be so impressed if you could come up. It was the final episode of a certain TV mm. show. Was it can Mash? You, 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, so, I wouldn't have gotten it if you I don't, I don't mean to episode. be pejorative. I'm so proud of you. Yes. It, it, was, it yeah. was the final episode of MASH. Yeah. yeah. That's the only thing I can think of. 94%. That's insane. That's crazy. It's, and, 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 and what when, were the other people watching? Let's pull the other 6%. Started at 8, 8.30 local, yeah. right? Um, yeah. Which is not... I mean, that's early for some people. <laughs> yeah, not everybody's a, up at that yeah, hour. And yeah. I know we're talking about a percentage, so people who are asleep don't don't count for either end of that. Yeah, the t- um, their TVs are not on. Yeah, their TVs are not on, but that that's uh, that is an incredible number. That, that, that's amazing. Yeah, all right. You said to me outside, by the way, that I was supposed to tee you up for something in pro size. Right? <laughs> oh, now, yeah. I know we had some, we have some flow and we could have done another hockey story, which we'll get to, that Ann Lauer and the centers. Yeah. But I wanted to, because we're on this fun high, um, what am I teeing you up for? You? All right, I'm going to tee you already. Eben, you had something you wanted to say about pro cycling. There is. There, there's a. There's two fascinating stories going on right now in professional cycling. I know none uh, and of I, them. And I, I, I know, and I just think our listeners may just be interested in them. So I'll, I'll, I'll sum up the, the main one um, in with some comparisons to some, some regular sports teams. The, the most dominant cycling team in the world right now is, is a team called Yumbo Visma. They are the Golden State Warriors of of cycling they come on recently they won all three grand tours last year or this not, year wait, the warriors are not the defending champions not the defending champions but they, they are the they're the nuclear right. the center the of modern of, okay. modern cycling okay. um and there's another good team sudal quickstep which i would compare to the, the the spurs they've been around for a while they've won some titles they have the best young cyclist in the world right now one of the best remco <laughs> not Evan seven Pool. foot four yeah exactly um and they uh, they have been in talks to merge for the past month or so, and this was a sho- obviously a shocking development for a lot of the professional cycling world, and it sounds like it's not going to happen now. And one of the reasons it's not going to happen is that this young star Remco Evanpool is a specialized rider. That's his sponsor. He rides a specialized bike, and Yumbo Visma, this other team, which was essentially going to be absorbing him and a few of his teammates, they ride Cervelo cycle. They ride Cervelo bikes, and they have a at infinitum deal with Cervelo. There's no end date to it. It is in perpetuity. Cervelo is the is the provider of bikes for this team. And uh, essentially, the 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 headache of trying to figure out what was going to happen if Remco came over, but he was not going to ride a Cervelo bike. But the team had a Cervelo deal that they couldn't get out of. So it seems to be one a personal deal with the other bike. He has a personal deal. Yeah, okay. uh, and he is a superstar in, in all the ways. And we couldn't do a cover the superstar. logo every now and then, a, a Michael Jordan on the metal podium, it, it, nothing. To, to me, it is like this great reminder, obviously, never do ad infinitum deals. Every, yeah, sure. every deal you sign should have terms and there should be an expiration point or at least an opt-out for someone. But uh, yeah, this this merger between two of the more dominant teams in professional cycling kind of took the entire sport by storm for a little while. And now there is talk of potentially a essentially like a uh, super league of sorts. Six of the biggest teams in cycling are talking about getting together, maybe trying to pool their collective rights, trying to take over the sport in some ways. Uh, So I'm sure a lot of our listeners are not professional cycling fans, but there is two very interesting things happening right now that have shades of of other other sports. I think of in EPL them, of yeah 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 a hundred hundred percent yeah. But but my main takeaway there is 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 to put some terms on your deals, guys, for 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 everything that you're doing. Don't do an open ended sponsorship deal that is going to trip you up at some point in the future. Why don't we write about this? I love like the the bike deal that can't that like nixed the merger. I'm happy to. It, it's it's really interesting. So the, the 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 one extra layer to this is that the Cervella, which is owned by a company called Pond which is a, a Dutch conglomerate that owns a lot of other cycling brands. Um, 
in the aftermath of this thing falling apart, have now stepped up to be the presenting sponsor of of the new Jumbo Visma team. So they're putting a different one of their brands. It's not Cervelo. It's not Cannondale. It's another one. But they're putting a different cycling brand on, on the name of the of the team, essentially. But that so, guy's going to do the original bike. Oh, so this guy's on the other team. This guy's is, oh, okay. is staying on okay. his old thing. Oh, but got it, got it. yeah, okay. the, essentially the way it worked, the, the 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 tactic of trying to do all this ended up with the, one of their sponsors stepping up to be the name sponsor of the team. So in some ways, Jumbo Visma got more money out of the back and forth of it. But a really interesting kind of bi- sports business story happening in in competitive cycling. Uh, and for folks who watched the, the the Netflix documentary about the the Tour de France, they'll know they'll know Jumbo Visma very well. It is. Jonas Vingegaard's team, it's Primoz Roglic's team, it's Subcusa's team. I'm very impressed um, with the pronunciation and recall. This is really good for you. I'm, really I'm a big good. cycling nerd. What anyway, happened to Greg LeMond? Tell me what happened <laughs> to Greg LeMond exactly, again. Yeah. He and Jacques Plante are somewhere yeah. uh, drinking in the French <laughs> Riviera. Um, yeah, I'm done with the cycling stuff, but I figured I would at least mention that there is some interesting business stuff happening. No, that's in, awesome. In I that like world. it. Yeah. All right, what are we talking about with Michael Anlauer and the Senators? We know he... What? Oof, I mean, a tough, a tough week or two weeks for the Senate. The, the team is struggling on the ice, which obviously is, is not great for the owner. Um, but two big pieces of discipline happened uh, against the Senators. One of them, um, Shane Pinto, one of their young forwards, suspended for 41 games, half the year for violations of the league's gambling policy. It's a little unclear what exactly they said he, he didn't bet on hockey. Did. Right. Yeah, I don't know if that means that he was betting on other sports or if that means he was passing information along to people who were betting on hockey. Uh, one of those things I think is way worse than the other thing. It, it's unclear exactly what happened, but he was given yeah. a very hefty uh, half-season suspension. Half-season suspension. And right. then secondly, the, uh, the, 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 league, the, the team, the Senators, were finally punished for the aftermath of a very confusing uh, trade mishap that happened a few years ago where the Senators traded someone who had a no-trade clause that they did not tell or maybe weren't even aware of to the new team and then the whole thing got unwound because essentially there was a there was a trade there there was a contract clause that allowed the guy to veto the the the, the deal that nobody seemed to know about and Michael Anlauer, who is the new senator's owner as we mentioned he bought the team earlier this year came out very publicly and said that he was not really aware of was not the severity of either of these things were not really on his radar when he spent a billion dollars, the most ever paid for a control stake in an, in an NHL franchise. Um, when he spent a billion dollars to buy the team, was not aware that these two things were going to be this big a deal, uh, which I think is actually really interesting. And, and uh, I'm sure there's some kind of back and forth in there about what he actually knew, what his lawyers knew, maybe what was communicated to him. I'm winking to you right now. We're, we're going to dig into this. Wink, I, wink, I can see wink. Scott winking. Um, but at least very publicly, he is playing the victim in terms of things that materially affect this, the success of the team. They, they were docked a first-round draft pick, the Senators were, for this trade thing. Uh, so, so two things that, that affect their, their, their on-ice performance, maybe for a while now, that he claims to, that, that were not properly fully uh, vetted to him during the sale process. All right, no truth to the fact that they have to play Alexander Daig for 40 games instead. <laughs> Thank you. So just a name, name some guys podcast. Yeah. At this All right. Point. Yeah. Yeah. What is no, you don't know Alexander Day? Oh, no, I know Alexander Day. Oh, okay. Let me ask you this, Novi Williams. Do you know the tale of the M&Ms and the Rolling Stones? Do you know this? this I do, yes. This, the rider? Yeah. Yeah, the rider in the contract that says if there's any, and I don't remember what color it was, if there's any red M&Ms in the dish, in the dressing room, there's some hefty fine, right? Yeah. And 
It's funny. The first time people heard it, I remember this. It was always like, oh, those prima donna rock stars. That It was always about like, oh, I can't believe that the, there's such prima donnas, yada, yada. And you will remember, I believe I've told you that I, for a summer, was an intern for the Rolling Stones. First for during the Steel Wheels tour, they would practice putting up the stage at the Nassau Coliseum on Long Island. And then for the second half of the summer, the band actually came in. And it was my job to get the crew and the band anything they wanted, needed, whatever for the day. So that, that was fun hanging out with, um, you know, Mick, Ron and the boys. Yeah. Um, but you also, you know, you hear about those things and you have a conversation. It was inserted by the lawyers to make sure that the other lawyers read the entire contract for if they Mm. showed up and looked in the dressing room and saw red M&Ms, they probably knew that the, uh, the contract was not read, uh, carefully enough. And they knew they needed to at least address what the safety issues. It the was about it was, yeah, it was about the really writer, important yeah. things about the stage and the safety yeah. requirement. Did you at least read that? So that that's what I just get the feeling like that's it. Like maybe we need the red M and M test in uh, these sale contracts from now on to say, wait a minute, this makes no sense to me. We don't even serve M and M's. Oh, yeah. okay, you read the deal. Good. So, exactly. Wink, wink. We'll see if we can do something else on that. Close it out by the way. Mike McCann with a great story. How do you, how do you feel like being the NCA right now? It feels like the hits yeah. just keep on coming. So, you know, there was, we know there have been plenty of lawsuits against the NCA regarding NIL. Um, Claudia Wilkin, uh, the judge, recently certified one as a class action status, yeah. which means it is not just going to affect a few people, a few litigants. It is going to affect 14,000 plus <laughs> litigants. And the NCAA is facing billions in damages. Now, I know the NCA does not have billions to pay damages, not yeah. where they want to be. Yeah, this is House versus the NCA is the lawsuit. It, it was brought by a former Arizona State swimmer, uh, and you nailed it. It's a, it's an NIL lawsuit, so uh, the essentially trying to get more of the money that is generated uh, that that athletes feel like uh, was deprived of them by the NCAA's uh, NIL restrictions in the past and ongoing ones. But but the big news, the class action status for the damages, yeah, suddenly opening this up to not just current athletes but to a lot of former athletes dramatically increases the potential uh, liability here for the NCAA and, and the biggest uh, and the biggest conferences. I saw this weekend that that, that Greg Sankey was asked, um, uh, is this ruling bad for you guys? And he was like, it's definitely not good for us. <laughs> uh, like the, the, the obvious, uh, obvious response. By the way, he's um, the commissioner of the SEC. Yeah, commissioner of the SEC. Uh, but but yeah, this is one of a, a number of um, legal challenges right now that are growing increasingly uh, dangerous, I think, for the NCAA and specifically around antitrust violations, uh, the way that athletes are, are treated, etc. Um, Mike McCann also wrote something today about Dartmouth, right? The, the Dartmouth men's basketball team, which is seeking union or considering uh, unionizing, playing at Duke to start the year. Um, there's just a lot going on right now. There's a, there's waves of change that are coming to the NCAA from from various directions, and and this loss is another one of those that suddenly becomes uh, a potentially catastrophic ruling. And, 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 and this is the same judge, Claudia Wilkin, who you mentioned, who ruled on the original Ed O'Bannon uh, yep. lawsuit um, five or six or, or maybe more years ago. So she's well-versed in, in the way the, the, the NCAA has set up its business. So not, not a great uh, last few days if you are Charlie Baker, if you're the NCAA, or if you're one of these major conferences, which is suddenly looking at a much larger liability in this, in this lawsuit than maybe it looked like uh, just a week ago. Yeah, some of the things that make you go, hmm, uh, I remember 
uh, reading something recently with Charlie Baker said, uh, you know, I talked to a whole bunch of athletes and like none of them said they want to be employees. You know, I, I don't know. And then a recent poll of uh, Division One athletes, I believe, and it was like something like 65 or 70 percent said, yeah, we'd like to be employees of the school. Something and, a little incongruous in those two uh, results. And in that exact that thing you're talking about, he said that he I believe the number was 1200. He said he talked to 1200 athletes. Well, it must and, have been some handpicked 1200. That yeah, and I don't like. I can't think of how long it's been. Twelve hundred people to talk to is such a large amount of people. I know that uh, that group he's chat, probably talked chat. to a lot of people in in his in his first few months on the job. But uh, I know there's a lot of people in our industry that were like twelve. Talk to twelve hundred athletes that, and couldn't get one. Skeptical huh? about yeah. little skeptical about it. Yeah, what that looked like or how you chose uh, which ones to talk to. Because you're right. Yeah, there's there's obviously plenty of athletes out there. It was the private that, Slack channel for athletes who don't want to be employees. <laughs> and it has twelve hundred members. Twelve hundred yeah. members. Anyway, by the way, I don't. We don't do the slot, but I'm gonna get. All right, I'm gonna do the, the shout out uh, to uh, a solid listener, right? Who I met out at C Suite. So mm. thanks to Kate Pekorsky. Um, met her out at C Suite. Good luck. I'm not gonna mention where you're going, but good luck with the new job. I mean, avid listener knew all knew all about your stuff. Knew about the focus group of one and everything else. Love that. Loves the show. Embarking on an exciting career uh, in, in in sports business and sports law, so we wish you the best of luck. If you're a listener and you see Scott out in the wild, um, you can say that. Hi. you'll get a yeah. shout out on the show. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know if you will, but you know you, you might. But, but to show chutzpah and gumption, um, coming to the event, just kind of cold called. I'd like to go. Reached out to people, friends of the program, and uh, folks who helped her in the industry, and. There she was, and it was great. I mean, networking, exactly what somebody should be doing. I, you know me. I love to reward those who help themselves. I'd love to help you. Let me see you help yourself. And she sure did a whole lot of that. So good stuff. Shout out to Kate. You can probably find her on Twitter. I do not know what the uh, what the <laughs> handle know. is. That I don't know. <laughs> you can find Scott on Twitter at Sashnik. You can find me on Twitter at Novi underscore Williams. The Sportacast is produced by Aaron Greenewald. Shout out to Aaron. Sportico's digital media editor, Cora Veltman, would like you to know that you can download the show and follow it at Sportacast, which is the hub of the Sportico Media Network. Have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast.